Monday, isn't it? Yes. Hi, all. Welcome. It's Monday, Generational Change. I'm Jen. Oh, yeah. I'm Peter, and I have problems, and I'm here to talk about them with all of you. He has problems. I don't understand why Mr. Beast has 350 million subscribers or you something You better move like over that. a little bit. There. Yeah. Because I'm looking at our shoulders. Yeah. He's a benevolent individual. Which is why I loathe having to give like airtime to somebody who clearly isn't worth it. No, it's, uh, uh, one sec. We're alive. Yes. So you wanted to talk about the Mr. Beast thing. So I looked into this because this is the general kind of nonsense that I don't generally follow. So, Apparently, what he gave eye surgery to a thousand people that were, yeah. would be able to see if they could only just normally afford a 10 minute procedure, but yet they can't. And, and yes, it's the feel good story, but it's always the yeah, that's not really the story. The story is how come those people didn't have that anyway? That's the story. Um, but yes, I don't know what you wanted to talk well, about. The, the, problem, Mr. Beast thing. the problem isn't the problem isn't Mr. Beast. See, everybody, it's like when you think about like the other content creators that go after him and are thinking, oh, he's he's just trying to be like a white savior or some crap. It's like, no, the problem is you shouldn't have to, he shouldn't have to do this. Like he doesn't. He's doing it for clicks and money and attention. Well, no, he no, 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 no. To be fair. I think what he did is fine. I actually think what he did is very philanthropic and considerate and all that. But mm. the systems we have prevent us from having it just readily available. You see, where he went and provided the cataract surgery was done in places where people don't have health care. See, if you went to places like East Asia and Northern Europe, those things are readily available most of the developed world has some form of healthcare. I find it gratuitous and tacky. I do. I do. It's fair. You could have donated for all these people to get it, but you did it for clicks. You did it for your show. You did it for whatever it is you get from doing it. Cause you could have done it without doing that. You could have just paid for it. Cause you just cause that's how come I think that it's very questionable. And yes, the fact that you also didn't bring attention to the fact how pathetic it is that something like this would even be necessary and you only did that. He only did that after he got called out. Right. And this is just what I'm hearing about. I don't really know anything about this guy. I couldn't care less, but it seems very gratuitous and very bullshit to me. And I'm very happy for people that he helped because that's a nice thing. Yes. But again, this all gets back to the same argument, which we have been having constantly, which is and this is the argument from the conservative side of politics, which is no one's entitled to my money and I can make my own decisions and blah, 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 blah. And it's always the it's it's this whole it's not my problem until it ends up at my doorstep. Well, I don't need eye surgery, so I'm not really concerned. But there may come a day where you might. And then if you can't afford it, well, then you're just screwed because the system is designed to be for profit across the board. That's not an answer. We have a real problem with people fully grasping that concept. Healthcare is one of the few areas of society that should be a not-for-profit industry. Now, doctors obviously can make profit. That's not the problem. The problem is there are for-profit middlemen that stand in the way of doctors performing it. Uh, Rand Paul, who is an eye doctor, who does these pro bono uh, jobs, if you will, for people with cataract problems and such. And his defense is, well, 
it's it goes against my Hippocratic oath to force me to have to give eye surgery. And I'm just thinking, no, dumbass, that's if you're living in a communist country that refuses to compensate you properly for your work. We are trying to remove the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. And you know this, Rand Paul. So does every other conservative who pretends like that isn't what we're trying to do here. But it's always this this idea of the slippery slope, like we're always going to go too far. So that's... Uh, Okay, are you done with the Mr. Beast thing? Because I would have never even known about that. That wasn't on my radar. We're gonna we're, we're gonna bring Osiris <laughs> in because Amani decided that she's late, and we are not going. We're always to make waiting for people. Always waiting for people. Well, I am sure our good friend from Stuck in the Middle is gonna love Middle Maga. About this, this process. Middle Maga. Osiris, welcome back to Generational Change. <laughs> What's good? How's the mic sound? How y'all feeling? We're good. You sound great. How's it going? Real good. Thank you for having me on. And I agree with everything you just said. But I will tell you, Jen, the Mr. Beast video got yeah. Tim Pool. Tim Pool basically was advocating for Medicare for All right after that video came, Interesting, came out. Interesting, right? Yeah. I was like, what? I was watching Tim Pool. I was like, he was inching closer and closer. He didn't go all the way there, but he was heading there, though. Because I am pro uh, Medicare for all. I disagree yeah. with a lot of the the right on that. Yeah. I mean, well, you also recognize that fiscally speaking, it's the more it's the smarter thing to do. We pay more for worse outcomes that it, it's interesting how that whole concept of being fiscally responsible is somehow not being looked at as fiscally responsible um, by the people that are supposed to be promoting fiscal responsibility. Yeah, I'm disappointed in MAGA for their stance there. They're not. But I think. I think they're open to discussions, though. I think that you've got to get the Ilan Omars of the world and AOCs at the table with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I know people don't like her and Matt Gates, but oh. I think they they got to get to the table. I, whether we like them or not, yeah. they should be at the table talking. You know, it's amazing yeah. how many based, uh, and, and I always believe that there's always like some type of, uh, there's something looming in the background that forces people to have a conscience, like, a lot of the things that Matt Gates has been saying lately are making a lot of sense. And I'm thinking, OK, well, what does somebody have over him that's making him sound like some type of a populist on the left, which is just so ridiculous? But, you know, look, I mean, the interview that he had with Tim Pool regarding the the actual day to day operations yeah. in D.C., yeah. I thought was extremely important. And it doesn't make the squad look good when they're basically running cover for the establishment that are subjugating the very people that they say they're trying to help. It doesn't make any sense. But for them, it becomes this sort of like career that they value more than the actual job that they're there to do. When everyone's pounding their fists when, you know, and listen, Ilhan Omar should be on the Foreign Affairs Committee. The fact that she was kicked off is total politics. But again, the reason why they're kicking her off has nothing to do with her being a Muslim woman. They'll say that that's the reason, but the truth is, is that she's got a very strong streak regarding uh, what goes on in Syria, what goes on in Israel-Palestine, and even what goes on in Ukraine. And they don't want that message. They don't want that out there. And so their whole song and dance on, you know, the House floor is to just make it about the woke culture. And that's why they kicked her off. And we're never going to get anywhere if that's what it's going to be. Yeah, we're doing this eye for an eye. I mean, they're still mad about Marjorie Taylor Greene getting kicked off. To me, it's it's as simple as you did it to somebody on our side, then we're going to do it to your side. And I, it's just an eye for an eye, man. That does not end well. It never stops because the house flips again and then they do it again. 
And I don't have the magical answer, but I would have liked them to talk to Ilan Omar and them and say, hey, you kicked off Marjorie Taylor Greene. We want a truce. We'll, kick, we'll keep Ilan Omar on and we're good, right? Politics is dirty. They probably wouldn't do it, but that's what I would have liked to have seen. It's ridiculous to me when I watch stuff like this, and it is, it's very much tit for tat. And when I watch this, it reminds me of like school children where you need to be a grown up in the room. Mm-hmm. It's really absurd. It's th- this is what we call egos holding our government hostage. And we see it on both sides. This isn't a, this isn't a partisan thing. And the one thing I will say about Gates and company is while I don't generally agree with them on policy, the concept of them that they were standing up for something and holding back their vote is a populist thing to do. That is democracy. So it doesn't matter whether or not I agree with them on the issues, because ultimately what they're asking for is a chance to vote on something, which, like I've said, uh, that shouldn't be that hard of a fight to bring something for a vote. That should be a given. Primary example of the problem that we're facing right now, Metopoly is a conservative, one of our great supporters. We love having him here. But there is always this this misconception, and that's why it's easier to deal with the populist right than it is with the liberal middle, if you will, uh, because their whole concern is the government taking over health care, which again, you know, right wing conservative messaging, uh, neoliberal messaging has been very effective when it comes to universal health care. This whole idea that we want the government to run health care is a complete non-starter. That's not what we're asking for. We're asking for the removal of the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. Hence, the ridiculous Grammy show that was on the other night was sponsored by Pfizer. We don't need <laughs> oh Pfizer running our healthcare system, which is what they do, as do a lot of other major corporations. If we cut them out of the equation, our healthcare costs would probably be a third of what they are right now. And virtually everyone would be able to afford it. And with those that wouldn't be able to afford it, that's where the single payer system comes into effect. So for those who are saying that this isn't actually feasible, it's not true. Well, it's, it's weird extremely me, feasible. What's weird, and Osiris, I'm sure you know that a few years ago, it was when they were doing the estimates on how much universal single-payer health care would save us, that even the conservative Koch brothers study was conservative at like, you know, $2 trillion or $2 billion or whatever it was. It's all ridiculous to me. But even the most conservative study showed that it actually saves us money. Yeah, that's why they don't want to talk about it. They just don't talk about it, like, at all anymore, not even AOC in them. Because if you talk about it, people might start listening and, like, wait a second, why are we doing this? Especially after there's this controversy going on with the whole Jabberwocky and and that company that you mentioned. Now there's a lot of negative press there, so um, they would be furious. So I wouldn't... It, it wouldn't be easy. I would not want to face the wrath of. I don't even say that company's name anymore in videos. I don't. I don't want to face their wrath. Yeah, and and again, uh, Mario, uh, a great progressive supporter of the show, says that it would have been great if AOC uh, heard out um, the fraudulent senator from Texas. But you know, even <laughs> if Flip. even if everything that comes out of Senator Cruz's mouth is BS, which it pretty much is. Yeah, but a broken clock is right twice a day. (laughs) If you're AOC, why don't you call him on it and say, yeah, I agree. Let's do it right now. And then see how serious he really is. 
that is that's why I I don't under how is it that we can see this? Well, and here's the only thing I would say is that because we're, we're not in there and she's in there, it is also possible that she knows that he is completely full of crap based on whatever information and knows that he's just doing it as some sort of like theatrical posturing. Thing. I have no doubt that he is full of well, crap. That's what I'm saying. Well, I don't. I, I'm just but saying. But then why not present it that way and say, okay. We agree on this. Right, call them on let's, it. Let's, let's, have, let's have an amendment on the floor right now. Let's see you do it in the Senate. We'll do it in the House. And let's get a vote for it, and we'll see who actually believes in this and who doesn't believe Who thinks it. Ted Cruz would do that? But no, that's the whole point of AOC calling him out. Yeah. That's what you're yeah. supposed to do. No, I know. Instead but of she's not doing that. Instead of telling him to go to hell, it's like you're not, you're not doing anything to further the message. You're actually hurting it because there is this idea that you know, the left and especially liberals are just, you know, whiny babies. And it's all about I'm I believe I am morally superior to you. So I don't actually have to engage with you is not good politics. It's actually really bad politics. Deplorables. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just it's almost like the that Congress is like a big joke. The only thing that they really work on is is war, weapons, money. Um, to defense contractors and whoever else, and then and then the budget, raising the budget. That's about it. Other than that, you know, this small bills, you know, renaming the post offices and stuff. Other than that, it's all theatrics. Yeah, it is. I always say we always say that it's professional wrestling. It's really mm -hmm. silly. Um, but what is disappointing, and we've said this before, is that the power of those seats, of those congressional seats, is way beyond just being able to implement policy. And when I look at people, whether it's, um, and I hate using the term the squad, because again, I would argue that squad means you work together for a mission and I haven't seen that. So I debate whether or not it's actually a squad. But like when you look at people that are actually standing up and taking a stand and getting attention brought to issues, a la people like Matt Gates, right? That's a huge part of what the job is. And when you only use it for grandstanding, when you know that you can't win, or when you know that you're in a minority party, which is what the Democrats tend to do, they're very, very fierce and mighty when they're not mm -hmm. in charge. Um, and I, I think that that's just, it shows that it is about a career as opposed to really taking a stand because nobody expected them to get in there and actually enact single payer healthcare. I didn't think that. I never thought that was going to happen, but they don't use the platform anywhere near the way that they could to really help the outside strategies have an impact on the inside. They don't. It's like, it's, it's just very unfortunate. That's what bothers me about it. Yeah. We just had a pandemic and uh, I didn't expect them to get it enacted, but to get to that point, you got to move the needle. Yeah. I expected them to move the needle, bring the conversation up. I, maybe I'm missing it. I've, I haven't even heard them talk about it. So maybe I'm missing where that is. No. But um, the stuff that rises to the top is not not that. No. Well, we are very pleased to bring in another panelist, and this will be a lot of fun because she ran for U.S. Congress in my home state of New Jersey against the dreaded New, uh, Democratic Party machine. That's uh, a total disaster oh, there, yeah. man. Oh, yes. Very disastrous, but uh, somebody who is definitely on the progressive side of politics. And this will be a, a very engaging conversation, I'm sure. Armani Oakley, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, how's it going? Hey, do you know Osiris from Middle MAGA? I do not. Okay, Osiris, Imani, Imani, Osiris. Now nice, nice to meet you. Pleasure, it's a pleasure. 
So one thing I actually wanted to talk about, because I was just watching it before I even came in here. Um, and I do, I watch Amy Goodman still. I don't know. Everyone keep your opinions to yourself. I like to get some <laughs> sort of basic common just news as to what's going on. And she was interviewing one of the people who created the curriculum that our state and DeSantis have just basically completely had changed. Um, and now he's saying it, they were going to change it before that. I don't know. But we're seeing like this very, this fight over history being taught. And I think that that's very telling. And I do think it's important to talk about that. And yet it is Black History Month, um, which on the one hand, I feel like is is annoying because if it was ever just taught properly, it would just be history. And I don't know. I don't, I like, I have kind of weird thoughts on it. But so I'm really interested, Imani, what you've been noticing. I know that we've made the news down here regarding this AP uh, African studies class. Um, like, what's your take on that? Is it political or is it like there's something real there? Oh, I think it's completely political. I think that DeSantis knows that he gets his base riled up when he does that. I, I really don't think there's any other rhyme or reason to it. I think if the numbers showed that it didn't work for him, he would do something completely different. But the numbers show it works for him, uh, which means bigotry works. I think we keep trying to dance around the fact that there are people in this country who are bigots. You know, I think progressives and leftists, and I think generally the political pool on the left of conservative generally have like an idealistic view of the way people think in this country. Um, they think, oh, well, you know, maybe they're just racist because they just don't know any better. Or, you know, they're just racist because, you know, some other excuse, they're just uneducated or something. But there are people who just like the power of racism. They just like, I mean, if you think about it from their perspective and put yourself in their shoes, yeah, you, you get something for free. You get something for nothing. You can do whatever you want in this country. You can break laws. <laughs> and the, the uh, consequences are so small that it's as if, you know, there was no law at all. So I, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think it's purposeful. I think he knows that it gets a certain part of his base, really probably almost his entire base, really riled up, ready to go and supporting him. Because from what I'm hearing from folks who work on the Democratic side, and y'all can maybe give me more insight into this, but from what I'm hearing is that DeSantis is loved in Florida. Like people really oh, yeah. love DeSantis in Florida. So yeah, um, he's you know, I think it's political. Okay. Osiris, obviously you've been watching the whole circus. Here and remember, with that. a lot of people are willing to overlook DeSantis's uh, social uh, decisions because his economic decisions have served a lot of people well in Florida. Also hurt a lot of people, but that's the mix and match you get with a governor who just won with almost two thirds of the vote. So, and in Yeah, but... Yeah. But Peter, I mean, there are some things that are so egregious that you have to be on some level in agreement with that type of bigotry to let it slide. I mean, like if somebody paid me, you know, a million dollars right now, but they were like, you know, oppressed trans people, I'd be like, well, no, <laughs> you know, like on some level, you have to think that that type of bigotry is OK, even if you are getting, you know, the financial benefits. Yeah. Sure. Osiris. Yeah, as far as the schooling and the AP course, and it, I take it to a big picture. I don't want any opinion taught as fact. That's my concern. So I haven't looked at the curriculum. I haven't looked at that test. I've heard there was queer studies in there. 
What does that have to do? Is that true? Is that is that in there? What does that there have to do are, with that? I, I went over it the other night. I read all okay. the parts of the curriculum. And it really is because there's this sort of new way of thinking about yeah. things that is intersectionality. And the yeah. truth is it's existed forever in a day. We just didn't say those words. It's called people being multiple things at one time. It's just a fact. So, you know, the fact the queer studies aspect of it is something that is found to be interplay very importantly in those studies. So, I mean, I don't know why people are so offended by that. Yeah, I, I have a different take on that. That had nothing to do with African-American history. Now, what, what my concern is, is their teaching, because when you talk about the, the study of queer, what is it, queer studies? Are we getting to opinions being taught as fact? That's the problem I have. If you teach history that like fact, but if interpretation of history is not fact, for for example, abolishing prisons as a good idea, whether I think it's good or bad, is irrelevant. That's not a fact. That's something that should be debated. So if it's a part of the curriculum and it's something that these the kids are allowed to debate on either side, maybe I'm for it. But if they're teaching it as here's a part of African American history, we need to abolish prisons. Oh no 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 no. That's not. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, I don't think that's what it is. From what from what it looked like to me, and this is honestly, I read as much as like without reading the entire thing. Um, I think when they when you're talking about things like abolishing prisons, it's more of looking at the movement for Black Lives and Black Lives Matter in a historical perspective, in terms of this is what those groups were fighting for in a way that you would look back on the civil rights movement and say, this is what they were about and what they were fighting for as part of the historical context. I don't know. Is, is that what your understanding is, Imani? Do you do you know? Well, I know that they debate it in class. I mean, that's education. And I'm sure folks yeah. who kind of don't really understand education because they've taken so much time to strip it down to be the bare nuts and bolts that they don't actually understand how education works. But how education actually works is certain things are presented and then they're discussed. Um, you can call it debating. I think people kind of overuse that word because they like to feel fancier than like it actually is just discussion. But people say what they think about one thing, say what they believe. That's whole. And then then the worst part is the teacher actually assigns a bajillion page essay for you to defend your point. So there's so many opportunities for people to say how they feel about one way or the other. I think people try to make debating more fancy than it is. Um, yeah. It's just saying your point. It's not some high level, high brow, genius ivory tower thing. It's literally just, just a discussion and you say your side of the point. And that and actually does happen in the classroom. Um, and, it so should. and it should in an AP class. And I think that's the key thing here. We're talking about an AP class where we want kids to be discussing issues and using their brains. This isn't a required course. And I think it should be anyway, not at the AP level. I would have never been able to handle that. I'm like, that was way too much work on the AP level for myself. I just kept myself at a nice, take it easy pace back in the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> but the, the, the subject matter should be required. And you want, might want to debate Osiris, whether or not what the queer history has to do with it. And fine, we could have like discussion debates as to what really could be included. But this is the banning of this curriculum does seem very bigoted and hate fuel to me and almost like looking for reasons to have a problem with it, because otherwise it wouldn't be a news thing. You know, we have meetings all the time to discuss different. It doesn't have to be such a big production. It could be discussed, but it should be. I think that it's this should be a required course, quite honestly. Is, is Black Lives Matter a part of this course? 
from a historical perspective, from a teaching about the movement and what happened after George Floyd was killed. Okay. Did they teach that it was a fun, it was a project to funnel money to the Democrats to beat Trump in 2020? See, now that I don't know. So that that needs, so then it's not, see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. So that's got to be a part of the story. So as somebody who actually ran for office and who was endorsed by Black Lives Matter, I can tell you not that much money goes anywhere. (laughs) So, I mean, this is actually, but this is a really good, important lesson here because if this is the type of stuff that's taught in the class and somebody is actually feeling how, I I believe your name is Osiris, if someone's Mm -hmm. actually feeling the way you feel, like, hey, they gave all these money to the Democrats, well, this would be a great opportunity for somebody to then say, actually, no, they didn't. They don't give anyone money. And trust me, I would know because I would have loved to have received some money from them. Um, So that's just not true. what is but, but true, I though, think- is that the is that black voters overwhelmingly vote Democrat. So likely, if this is an organization that serves black people, the overwhelming majority are going to vote Democrat. Those are just numbers. That's yes. not even about that's not even getting well, into then- the needs of who believes what. That's just like general numbers. Well, then um, but that, that should be a part of African-American history. Why is that? Why do black people vote Democrats 80 percent, 90 percent in general elections? Yeah, but that should be a part of it. I mean, no, we can't have any of it as a part of it if it's not taught at all. Yeah, so it, so that's my, so I think the discussion we're having here is my concern. Like, is it an essay? Because I'm familiar with like the AP math, you know, test. It's literally just a test. It's fact, you get it right or wrong. How do you test out of college for this one? Is it writing essays or? It's writing. It's probably okay. blue books. It's, it, I mean, it always was writing. Okay, like, so you, if I- so yeah. if I can put my gold monocle and top hat on for a second, as somebody who took several AP courses okay, yeah, no. in high yeah. school, how it works is you have a course uh, for, you know, I think it's about a year. Um, and you go through all the aspects of the courses. There's a bunch of things that's a part of it, discussions, homework, essays, quizzes, tests, all of that. And it's all to prepare you for this test at the end. The test is a mixed test. So there are some things that are like, you know, multiple choice, A, B, C, D, E, you pick those. Okay. And there's like an essay portion as well. And they're weighted. I believe they were weighted about evenly when I took it. I'm not sure if that part has changed the weighting of it, but they were weighted about equally. Um, and and then you have to score a, a, a three or better. Depending yeah. on the college, they'll take a three. Um, most colleges, um, especially colleges that are considered Considered, you know, like higher ranked, will only accept a four or five. If you get that high on the test, then you don't have to take that course in college. You can replace a course with that in college. So that's how it works. And again, it's not like it's not like some like you get into college and they induct you into some like secret ceremony society. Oh, I know it like, is. You literally oh, just don't have to take a course. That's literally. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> She's lying. It is. Yeah. There's a secret handshake and a whole thing that they do. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it only from the math side. I took calculus BC, and depending on the school you're right, you need a three, four, or five to skip out of it. You still have to make up the credits, but you skip the intro calculus or whatever course. I only took that one test. But uh, you, do you see the concern? I would have to dig really into the curriculum. Yes. If you've got multiple choice, and I disagree on the take on Black Lives Matter, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, the take on it's not a, it was not a project to funnel money to Democrats. So is there an essay? Like, would I be able to pass with a disagreement? So I'm not saying anything definitive, but that's my concern here: is you're teaching opinion as fact, and now we see another way to forcibly get people to agree with Democrat philosophy. Uh, I'm concerned about it. 
I don't think that that's what an essay would be about. Like, I no. think you're really, I think you're well, really we, kind of straw manning because like what I think it would be is that that's the type of thing. If you were going to have a, a question about Black Lives Matter movement, mm -hmm. to me, that would be a multiple choice thing based on facts of what happened that summer. You know, yeah. like, I, I think that- I would have it, to see it though. I mean, we're speculating. And what's the essay part too? I mean, essays are opinion. What but do you that? feel like this about all classes? Because I'll let you know, like you could be looking at an AP government class class and you never know what everybody's going to be saying in that class like I feel like you you could apply what you're saying to every teacher uh, almost I think this is a little bit more um uh subjective than the government AP because it's really civics it's like high level civics when you get into the government stuff the history courses are really more factual I'm just concerned about this this doesn't when you start talking about queer theory or queer history that's com that's something completely different and i know it's not finalized yeah this whole ap was like a but it's actually run. not that different that's actually not exactly true right because when you're talking about the history stuff that so again putting on my gold monocle and my top hat and holding out my cane and walking you know down the you're street like mr peanut yeah exactly that's my exact <laughs> outfit right now <laughs> i actually did take and pass uh the both the ap u.s history and the ap world history um, and when it comes to the multiple choice stuff, the stuff is like facts. So for example, it would be like, you know, when did black, what year did black lives matter start? And then you pick a year, right? Like stuff that's like, nobody is refuting that. Nobody is like really arguing anything. The okay. essay is about form. And then you just have to hit certain like keywords that are important to whatever the subject matter is. Um, so for example, you can't write an essay that where you're writing an essay about like bubble gum, for example, and there's no keywords in there that would show that you actually handled the um, the curriculum in any real way, right? Like you can't do that. Uh, but you know, you but most of it is really about you know how you're laying out the argument and then making sure certain keywords are included, whether you agree or disagree with those keywords that they are included inside the essay. Right. Well, it's a critical thought process, is what well, it is. Here's here's my concern. Uh, Black Lives Matter had a list of demands on their website. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, yes. On their, yeah, the list of demands, and it's I think it's still live. It's still live right now. The number one list of demand from Black Lives Matter, this is a, supposedly, I haven't seen it, in this African-American history course, was to convict and ban Donald Trump from future political office. That has no place <laughs> in the classroom. If you're going to open the door to a group that talks about banning Donald Trump, then we need to have a MAGA history class. We need to have a Tea Party history class. We need to have it all either we have it all out there or we have we keep it kind of straight to history unbiased politically because black lives matter is a secret door opening to democrat politics it's an indirect way to get democrat philosophy and, and, and i'm not talking about populist democrats these are the hillary clinton's the corporate democrat uh policies i'm not for it so what if, let's just say hypothetically, that the AP African Studies course didn't even include anything about Black Lives Matter? What if it and just didn't include Black Lives Matter? Because it seems to be that that's like your main okay. issue. And I, I don't agree. Obviously, I don't agree. But there's so much more to this course than that. Like that's such a small little speck of what this course is, is about that it really seems like it, that I don't know why everyone's like fixated on that but, so much. You're, you're, I think you're looking at a small percentage of this that's remotely even political. Well, if it's like, a small percentage, then we got to have a small percentage of MAGA history too. But then we're going down the path of DeSantis was right. 
he's going through, I, I don't know the exact story, but it sounds like he's, you know, saying, hey, you've got to take these things out if you want to have it in Florida. And it sounds like he's heading down the right path to me. But you, you do realize that the part of U.S. history, like factions, which is what the Tea Party is, a faction of the Republican Party, like that stuff is actually taught. Yeah, so, even, so, so the, kind of the point you're is making, Mega, we got to well, teach that stuff too. Is well, MAGA it taught is. though? Because the, 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 the number one demand for Black Lives Matter had nothing to do with Black Lives. It's on the website. It said to ban Donald Trump. So do we have MAGA taught in the AP level course anywhere? Well, not in African studies. Well, in any other course. Well, number one, it's it's arguable that having given Donald Trump's bigotry, that it's actually not in the interest of black folks to have him, uh, you know, in office, number one. But number two, you're just teaching what a particular group thought or felt. That's that's not requiring anybody else to feel that way. Okay, then let's teach this particular group at this particular point in time felt this particular way. So then let's teach why the populist right, MAGA, Steve Bannon as a leader, why they thought why they thought. I think they do. I don't think think there's any problem with that because I'm sure people would come to a conclusion when they find out why they think what they think. I don't know, but if it's like it could be done. Okay, but let's say, okay, so what would that course be under? Would it be under AP? Make it a mega course. Well, but see, it's AP MAGA history when MAGA has only existed for this much of of U.S. history, when black history spans literally the entire time of this country. Is that the comparison Populism in America goes back to Andrew Jackson. Well, then have a course in populism. Have a course in populism. And then you would teach. Populism is both right and left, by the way. Populism is not just means, it doesn't just mean like when the right wing is mad at the right wing establishment. Populism is when the popular, like the populist is mad about the establishment. They feel left out, whether Mm -hmm. that's on the right or the left. And then they create movements based around that. Yeah. Ultimately, what you're looking at is a situation where. There are always, yes, I did. Oh. There are always casualties and it's always the working class and people of color, especially the black community, make up a significant portion of the working class. They are always thrown under the bus for these political posturing purposes, which have nothing to do with economics that will actually help benefit That's- people in their daily lives. Um, that is always going to be the case. So if you're teaching, uh, you know, AP African studies, but you're going to do it in a way that is obviously going to create a divide and conquer strategy by... On the one hand, you have a governor who's going to use it as a bigotry weapon, which it is. And then on the other hand, you have the other side that's going to use it as a culture war weapon, which it is. And then you're left with nothing. And all the while, Florida is egregiously expensive to live in. Uh, We have a housing crisis. We have a renting crisis. I mean, I'm in commercial real estate, so I, I see this all the time. And I could and argue, so, by the way, that in a state that's ranked like 48th in education, that maybe our state leadership isn't the best barometer of what mm-hmm. should be like studied. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Like it, our state is not known for education. That's all. But I'm you saying. know what state is? You know what state's number one in the country? New Jersey, baby. Is that New true? Jersey. And we're not getting wow. rid of it here. And we're number one in the country. Just say it. Wow. But New Jersey does have a serious problem when it comes to income inequality. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Problems. Oh, As yes. I always like to say, Osiris, I don't know how well you know New Jersey, but I always, mm. when, when Amani and I first talked, you know, I always say, if you really want to know what New Jersey is all about, just look at Orange, New Jersey. There's East Orange and there's West Orange. And if you want to see how America is 
properly constructed as it was intended, then look at those two communities. You have the urban plighted East Orange and the massively affluent suburban West Orange. It's the Great Gatsby. It's the East mm, Egg and the West Egg. and, And so understanding those divisions and how it's been that way for generations, not for a few years, not for a decade or two, but for 50, 60, maybe even 100 years. It's been this way for a very long time. And what cannot be denied, even though every once in a while New Jersey does elect a GOP governor, this is an extremely blue state. And so it really doesn't matter which political party is in charge. They are going to take advantage of people of color because they're the easiest target. They have the least amount of wealth concentration in the whole country and probably the world as as, as a whole. And so there's always going to be these casualties. And so getting into a fight about, are we going to teach this nuanced uh, approach to the story, or are we going to talk about the very real guardrails that are in place to prevent any type of a real economic populist uprising in this country, whether it is with a living wage, universal health care, clean energy, clean water. Yeah, how about that? Clean water. Go to Irvington, go to Newark, go to Elizabeth. And go into these neighborhoods where people have to decide if they're going to drink brown water, which is just nuts. But if you were to go into Livingston, if you were to go into Parsippany, if you were to go into Wayne, if you were to go into West Orange, the second there would be a problem with their drinking water, it would be solved tomorrow. In fact, it would be solved tonight before tomorrow so that nobody would find out about it. And this is a very real problem. So if we're going to figure out how to blend the populist left and the populist right, it has to be on economic grounds because these issues are very real and most people agree with them. It's like, I understand the rights argument when they're saying we don't want government run health care. Good. Neither do we. We want government funded health care because the government is supposed to work for us, not the other way around. And so the second you separate the corporate special interests. And let me tell you, man, if you really want to see corporate special interests at the very best, just drive Route 1 up central New Jersey line and see where all the mega corporations house their businesses. They house them in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. All of them. I went to Rutgers. Yes, I went to Rutgers. God and if say. you want to see where all of these businesses <laughs> line themselves up between New Brunswick and uh, Piscataway, they are all there. All of them. It is a... And it's in a very sleepy part of town. There's no businesses. There's nothing. But that's where these mega corporations hide themselves. Johnson and Johnson, they've been there forever. And these are the very mega corporations that run our country. And they don't give a rat's ass whether your state's red or blue. They'll screw you 10 ways to Sunday, regardless of who's in charge. The reason I have more disdain towards the Democrats is because they pretend like they give a shit. The Republicans Mm -hmm. are at least transparent (laughs) in saying, yeah, we don't care. I prefer to be stabbed in the chest than the back. That's essentially <laughs> that's what, what we're said. talking about. <laughs> but that's why libertarians uh, question public schooling in general. Like, if if the government controls public schools, then are they going to teach the faults of the government? It's a conflict of interest. But yeah, I, but I, I, I would think that a libertarian would say there's public school, but you should have the option to have other schools, which is exactly what we have. And the problem that we have in this country, and Amani's absolutely correct, and this is a huge problem for public education, and one of the big problems with public education where it's good is that it's good in states 
that heavily tax the hell out of their citizenry, whether it is New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Those are, that's where there's better education. That's where there's better education, but people are overtaxed. The problem we have in states like Florida that don't have state income tax is that the budgets are manipulated so that the money goes to charter schools Mm -hmm. that are supposed to be going to public schools, Mm -hmm. even though charter schools are supposed to be completely out of the equation if they're supposed to be a private funded entity, but they have completely taken over the slush fund that is public education. These these are the real problems of society, but you're never going to hear any of these other YouTube channels talk about this stuff. No, they're too caught up in God knows what these days. Metalopoly, we would never block you. No, you must be having technical issues. Yes. Sorry. We would never, but we do not. But the only people who get blocked on our channel are people that literally spam it and harass yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. If you we, do that, then you get blocked. Yeah. And, and also, different. I don't like people that are really mean about guests. It's like, if you want to say crap about me, whatever, I don't care. But I think this would be a great opportunity to talk about what is coming up in... I guess it's, uh, what is today? Today's the sixth. Okay, so it's coming up in In just under two, well, no, two weeks. uh, There is going to be a rally in Washington, D.C., which is going to be an anti-war rally. Now, I'm of the mind that it is good to have an anti-war rally, but I also think that we have to be considering what the message actually is if there are certain people who are the speakers at these rallies who carry so much toxicity with them that they actually end up hurting the, the actual message that's trying to be conveyed. As Jen and I discussed the other day, if Medea Benjamin is the lead speaker for an anti-war rally, have at it. I think that is 1,000% correct. But for a lot of the other egos in the room who feel that they need to speak at that rally when they haven't done a damn thing, like actually go uh, to a war zone and actually see what really goes on, they're just pontificating online and saying, oh, I disagree with this. Yes, it's great that you do. But if you're trying to actually rally people to the cause and you're known as basically just being a rabble rouser, cloud chaser online, that doesn't help the cause. It hurts it significantly and it will not be taken seriously. Your thoughts? Me or or any of us. Oh, first. Oh, go go first. Oh, okay, gotcha. So yeah, I mean, my thoughts, actually, my scorching hot take of the night is that I don't think rallies work anymore. I think we have mm. exhausted rallies. Mm. I think we're doing rallies now just to say that we did something. But it's, I mean, like I've worked in political offices. And one thing I tell folks all the time is like, if there's not a legitimate reason for like, if your rally doesn't really scare the elected official, like they just close the door, you know, they look at you on the monitor, like they'll point out pe- like the staffers will look at people who are dressed a certain way and laugh at them. Like, it's just like a whole good time. Some of them will re- actually go home. Like I remember on the state level, when I worked in the New Jersey legislature, there were some um, legislators, legislators who would just on the state level who would just go home if somebody right. you know came and and that's it and everybody had the day off and they would come back the next day and just continue business as usual. I think if we as the left are really if we really want to see change, we're going to have to start getting creative about how we challenge power. Number one, and then number two, when it comes time to elections and actually replacing people, we have to do a much, much, much better job of supporting people who are from the community, supporting people who have the same policy uh, fights as us, supporting people who are working super hard to get elected, as opposed to just kind of sitting back and seeing what happens. I think we need to do a much, much better job at that. We need to do overall all a better job at 
challenging power because what we're doing right now is just it's so it's it's overdone to the point that politicians aren't even afraid of it anymore. Oh, yeah. Osiris, what are your thoughts on that? You look like you agree with that. Oh, her take is based there. I mean, really based. I will say this anti-war, the the positive I could see coming from it is I think we all agree. Like populists, on doesn't matter what type of populist you are, and libertarians basically agree that we're anti-war. So it it won't scare any power, but it might help, you know, kind of bring people together on some type of mission, um, at least anti-war. Right now, we don't have uh, anybody on the left really voting against war in D.C. So hopefully you can get some pressure through the the, um, different groups aligning. Is this the one where Ron Ron Paul is speaking? The, The rage against war or... Uh, I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's actually. Yeah, uh, so you're going to have libertarians there and Mises Caucus libertarians, and then you might have some, you know, populist right, left. That's the part I like, but Amani's take is based there. But so, Amani, what's, what do you, th- I'm sorry if, if I missed that. What do you think your, the answer is to challenging power? Let's talk about specifically anti-war. Yeah, so specifically anti-war, I think that lies in the category of replacing politicians. There's only two things that politicians are afraid of, losing their power and losing money. That's literally it. You have, if you're going to really put them in a bind, you have to hit at one of those pressure points. Um, And I don't think, one, we do a good enough job during um, election years where harmful people are up as to really focus on getting them out of there. Um, And two, what we could also do is try and hit people's donors. Uh, One of the things that I think people don't realize about donors is donors don't donate because they're like, you know, they're just these super sophisticated, political minded people who just want to like get out there and help. Like, no, they donate because they like to be able to have immediate access to a politician or in some way it's part of their brand. You know, when they have their dinner parties or people come over or whatever, they can say, oh, yeah, I'm a big donor to whatever. Like they like the actual issues don't matter. Then they have the money for the for the issues not to matter. Um, So you can also start to strip away people's donors by, let's say, a donor, the brand that they've given themselves and how they want people to think about them is that they are a person that is pro Black Lives Matter. Let's just say, for example, Um, and that's that donor's whole brand. You know, every time they do some philanthropy, whatever, like their whole brand is, you know, I support black people. Right. Well, if you start to because donors over a certain amount, it's public information. So you can actually look up that information. Well, if you look up that information, you see that there's this politician who's not doing what you want with regards to black lives. Well, you can look up their donors and then say, well, hey, I noticed that, you know, you have said that you support X, Y, and Z, yet you're giving your money to this person. Seems a little odd, right? And then you can put the pressure on the donors because then the donors are going to put the pressure on the politician. So there are like a bunch of other ways. And again, it always depends on the situation. But the main thing that we have to keep in mind is that the only thing, the only thing that politicians are afraid of are losing their power and losing money. That's it. That's it. And if if you're not challenging one of those, you're not actually challenging the politician. See, this is a great example of why we've got to work together because I think the populist left, if you like that label or not, that's what I'm labeling. Is that okay, yeah, Imani? Yeah. That's fine. That's the pop- fine. The Doesn't populist left is better at that than any other group at, you, like you said, going after the donors. The right doesn't do that. Libertarians don't do that. So I think that's the benefit of getting together with people on all different sides. We all have different strengths. Uh, I like what you just said there. Well, if they're concerned... For example, you know, and a lot of people have pointed this out, 
you know, no one wants to be seeing Pfizer sponsoring everything. And they've made videos constantly about it. Well, that's the argument for people on the populist right. You're looking at it right there, clear as day. If you have a problem with Pfizer basically controlling the means of production when it comes to our health care, then you should be against corporate special interests funding our politicians, because that's 95 to 99 percent of them. Oh, really? Oh, wait, Amani, you don't think that Corey Big Pharma Booker is on your side? You're not feeling, you're not feeling the pharma love there? Absolutely Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and I wish people. I always say, call him that. I know it's like I for some reason like that's his nick. I feel like I sometimes I'm like a little Trumpy. Like I'll make up a nickname for certain people, <laughs> and that has always been. No, his there's to only me. one person here who can totally do that. I do that's it. I do it. Like I I do it. Like Amy Coney Island. I do it. <laughs> Corey, no Booker. He's <laughs> no Booker. big pharma Booker. That's honestly the big pharma part is like only one of the aspects. I mean, my bigger thing with him and all, all, and this is just because I'm from Jersey in the political space in Jersey is the machine aspect and the corruption aspect. That's the the bigger part to me. And he in particular, like as far as him, him himself, his individual body is less corrupt. I would even go as far as to say not corrupt or at least any more corrupt than other politicians. But the folks that support him, the party bosses that support him are super corrupt. And he won't come out against them at all. And that, that to me, is the bigger issue. I mean, like, the big farmer stuff, obviously, I don't want money in politics at all. Um, so that's bad. But I just, I just feel like it's, it's, the, it's the cowardly aspect that also adds to it, that he won't come out against these really horrendous people that are, it's known that they're horrendous with regards to the corruption and how they treat neighborhoods like East Orange, like Camden, et cetera, throughout New Jersey um, as basically financial and political playgrounds for themselves. And somebody who gets out there and says like and tries to be like this progressive light type of person, like progressives. If you're on a progressive, he, with them. <laughs> he was playing basketball. If that doesn't tell you he's for the people, I don't know what will. Oh, you know, one of the things that people need to also remember, especially being in politics, is most politicians they're not nice people. They're really big colossal jerk offs. Cory Booker happens to be a very nice man. And because he is, he's able to get away with a lot of that crap. What's interesting is that as bad as Cory Booker is, he is a Boy Scout compared to our other senator, Bob Menendez, who's not only as corrupt as any senator or any politician in the United States, he's also a colossal asshole. So when you put those two things together, it's like, okay, well, now I understand why Cory Booker skates. And Menendez has been able to get away with this. But I still remember when he had his Senate race in 2018 and the debate was, I really don't want to vote for I can't I can't vote for a Republican. And I'm thinking, well, there's the problem right there. You can't think forwardly, which is you have to get people like Bob Menendez out of power because somebody, whoever would ultimately defeat him, is only going to be there for a short while. If you're trying to unwind all of this corruption, you have to unwind it by getting the worst of the worst out of there. It's like, was Charles Booker going to beat Mitch McConnell two years ago? Probably not. But he might have gotten really close. He might have gotten really close. And there's no telling how different the political landscape might have looked as a result of that. The strategy amongst us, the populist side of politics, must figure out how to work together on a better playing field. Because for us, this is all about labor. 
Yeah, well, let's say something I wanted to say, and it goes to what, Imani, what you brought up in terms of what's worse about Cory Booker isn't just the pharma stuff. It's just the general, like, he's p- content with corruption. So it, it's just complete contentment with corruption. And I think that that is the key issue, in addition to working issues, that bring us all together on the left and the right. The anti-corruption sentiment and the sick and tired of the filth is something that is across the board. And it's something that we all agree on. And that's the whole point. Like, that's what we're trying to do. I don't even necessarily like, yeah, I'll support who I support personally because of policy, but I'll platform anyone who's a non-corporate candidate. And I think that when we just start getting people in that represent constituents, we'll inevitably have a functioning republic. Like right now, our republic is dysfunctional, completely dysfunctional. We have a small group of people that are creating legislation that does not represent the will of the majority. That's a dysfunctioning republic. And the only way we fix that is to get the corporate money out, period. So like, I feel like we're chipping away at it. Like I almost feel like Sisyphus, like it's just ridiculous, (laughs) but, but, but that's, that's the goal. You know, like we can fight about all the other little issues, but until we get corporate whores out of Congress, we're not going to get anything done. And this is especially true as, and I would imagine very true as black Americans, because the belittling, the, the way that particularly the Democratic Party. Let's talk South Carolina. The way that they just make it so that they're, oh, we so care about the blacks in this country. No, you don't. You care about them when it's election season because you want their vote because the overwhelming majority of them are going towards you. And I got to tell you, Imani, I'm sure you've been noticing this. And Osiris, I know you've been noticing this. Uh, Trump won a very decent percentage of the black vote in 2016 and 2020. And it was significantly black men. Now, black women are fiercely, fiercely loyal to the Democratic Party. But there are a lot of black men who are moving away from it. They're like, eh, this ain't working for me. And I don't expect the Republican Party to do right by me. But I know the Democratic Party isn't doing right by me. And we have all these guardrails in place from preventing us from actually having a first past the post election system. There's a handful of states that are working on things like ranked choice voting, jungle primaries and whatnot. We need it all. Obviously, Florida will be the last state to get it. We need to talk about the South Carolina thing. But South Carolina is obviously coming to the forefront because it is going to be the first in the nation for the Democratic Party. Uh, Let's say it, Jim Clyburn. It's a problem, people. It's a friggin' problem. Yeah, let's hear. Let's see you guys agree on Jim, (laughs) Mr. Jim Clyburn, who represents who represents the third or fourth most poor district in the whole country, and and has and hasn't changed it for them at all. Nope, it's gotten worse. (laughs) Well. I would say, number one, I think the entire conversation around like black male voters is overblown. I mean, granted, more did go to the right than what's historic, but it's still like the black male vote is still overwhelmingly Democrat. Like, I believe I believe for Trump in 2016, it was 84 percent black males went for Trump. And then if you look at because that was a concern recently as well during the the Georgia elections, I think the numbers were about the same. It's like 84, 86 percent, which like, you know, that's still that's that's a very large number of Democrats. Is it as high as black women? No, but that's it's higher than any other group except black women. So um, so I think that's that conversation is a bit overblown. What I will say, though, is I think what Democrats don't realize is that black voters are also swing voters, meaning they will either go out and vote or they just will stay home. 
And I think what Democrats are going to start experiencing more and more and more, especially as more young voters, young black voters come who are farther removed from like actually being alive when black folks got the right to vote in this country. It doesn't seem like some kind of thing they should necessarily just honor like that because um, it's just it's kind of far removed for them. Um, but what's not far removed are things like forgiveness of student loans. What's not far removed is things like affordable health care. You know, those types of things are not far removed from them. And if they choose not to definitely, you know, vote for Republicans because of all the things like Republicans stripping away um, AP, African-American history, things like that. There are various things that show that Republicans are bigoted in various ways. They don't go and vote for them, but they're kind of like, eh, but Democrats, you don't do anything for me either. So why would I even waste time doing this? I can go home and, you know, like take a nap or do whatever. Um, and I think Democrats are going to start to have problems with turnout, not necessarily them going to the other side, but a much bigger issue with people having the will and the fervor to come out and vote. Because there's only so many times you can say, hey, you better vote for us or you'll die. Hey, you better vote for us or you'll die. Hey, you better vote for us or you'll die. And then nothing changes and people get closer and closer to death every time. Like, there's only so many times that can actually work. I think about the level of privilege. Like I saw um, who the mayor of uh, Boston, when I was up in New Hampshire uh, several months ago, uh, the, the former mayor of Boston, who's now on uh, Biden's administration, and, and he talking with a stick, Boston Irish accent and trying to tell you, you know, we always say that this is the most important election of our time. Well, it is the most important. Election. Think they about say it how, every time. Think, I mean, you want every to talk time. about, I mean, start, if I, I never, ever throw around the term white privilege, but you want to talk about white privilege, that's it in a nutshell. That son of a bitch wants to stand up there and act like this election, we, we're not going to give you anything, but if you don't vote for us, you're going to get a lot of what you don't want. It's like, it's literally like holding a gun to your head. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, Osiris, I just want to ask you, like, so what are your thoughts about this whole move to take the primary and move the first primary to South Carolina? I mean, obviously it's a ploy to keep people in line with supporting Joe Biden. Um, but it's it's not like, what's your thought? What's your take on all of that as someone who's not a Democrat? Yeah, I agree with you. It's to give, you know, Biden would not have won, I believe, if it weren't for Jim Clyburn last time, wasn't it? Wasn't it him who rallied? Oh, he the rallied. Black, the black churches and Biden looked like he was on his way out. I didn't think he was going to win the primary. Jim Clyburn's like a gatekeeper. And um, even though we kind of disagree on some things, maybe similar to that, I would agree, disagree with Amani, even though I think she's great here. Uh, Marcel Dixon, I would vote for Mark. I, I tell people on the populist right, in certain districts, you're never going to have a MAGA candidate. Right. So support, however you can, someone like Marcel Dixon, even if you don't believe in reparations, he's a real person. Amani, I'm just meeting her now. She seems like a real person. We can work with real people. We can't work with Jim Clyburns. That we can't work with people like that. So I will support in, you know, in those areas, it's not going to happen. But getting those establishment guys out of there, he's a gatekeeper. That's all he's going to do. Yeah. It's for just sure. and, and 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 for an establishment that is just so self-serving. It's great. The same little group, it's like a cabal. It's a Democratic Party cabal is what it feels like to me. And I feel bad because actually Marcel was supposed to be on this oh, panel yeah. tonight, but he uh he unfortunately I love his fire. energy. Yeah, I yeah. love his energy. I love, you know, the whole thing about him and just he's so rightfully furious 
about just where, where he comes from and how that's where, how it's been, how people have been treated there by the same person continuously. And it has gotten worse. It's and, not like there's any improvement over so many years. And I really wanted him to be on the panel tonight with you, Imani, because he is a social conservative. And I do think that depending on yeah, what part of the country you come from, I do think that that is reflected. I do think that that does play a role, whether you're from the Northeast like we are, mm -hmm. or if you're from, and he is from the Deep South. Yeah. I think that there is just a different cultural identity that a lot of people have. And I think it would be, I, th I think we would be amiss to not talk about an issue that is very important to Marcel, uh, not pro-life versus pro-choice, but actually uh, immigration. That is a very hot button issue for him. That's interesting. And yeah. what I think, here's how I look at immigration. And I do, I believe I'm, I'm a more of a hardliner than Jen is when it comes to immigration. However, that's the understatement of the universe. <laughs> what, but what I will say that never gets talked about is you end up having a crisis at the border because there is an economic populist labor uprising that's happening in this country right now where the worker is not looking at the shareholder and the boss and saying, I'm just going to take my, you know, my crumbs and, and go on my merry way. I know what my worth is and I'm going to fight for it. And by the way, all these people standing around me and behind me, they agree with me and they're going to fight with me too. And so the powers that be look at it as, well, there's no real labor laws in this country. We don't actually have to do anything that you want. So what we will do is open up the floodgates at the border, bring in people from other countries that will work for slave wage, no different than any of the trade deals that we have had, particularly during the Clinton era, that completely goes against what labor yeah. actually needs, much less wants. And so the whole cycle just repeats itself. And so... The, the problem, though, is that it becomes, well, I'm blaming, you know, the Latino immigrants that are coming in. No, you have to blame the system mm -hmm. that is forcing this upon us. It doesn't have to be this way. No. But that's why it is this way. And that's the that's the mystery. Instead of telling everybody it's the Mexicans, it's totally their oh. fault. That's the reason. That's not the reason. People who are desperate to live just want to live and they'll take whatever they can get in order to survive. The people who are at the top who get everything. They just laugh at us fighting amongst each other, not trying to figure out how to solve the problem. But to me, the real problem is, is that labor needs to figure out how to come together. That's my thought. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, sorry, I, I, I kind of went first the last two times. Oh. I just want to give you, make sure you have enough time. No, no, go. <laughs> you, you're killing it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, first of all, if we're talking about labor coming together, I think we need to have a very serious conversation as the left about why these old school union bosses keep going yes. for the most corporate Dems in the world. I mean, we need to have that conversation. Thank you. Um, Thank you. They're the, the people that they are supporting are not people that support workers. And what they do, and I know this because it happened in my race, what they'll do is say, well, you haven't supported us in any of these ways before you had this progressive challenger, but if you promise to do it, your next cycle will endorse you. Which like, of course they're gonna say yes. Of course they are, but their history of already not doing it has to matter. 
it has to matter and say, yeah, you didn't do it all this time. And now you have a progressive challenger. What happens when you don't have a challenger anymore? Are you going to forget us again? And the answer is, of course, of course, of course they are. So if we're going to have a real conversation about labor in this country, I do think obviously the workers, I think, are all fighting for the right things. I haven't seen one movement yet where the workers aren't fighting for like literal just things to survive. But when it comes to union leadership, absolutely, who they're backing and who they're getting into Congress to make these laws about labor and to make laws regarding immigration. They are not people that support the everyday person, the everyday worker, the immigrant trying to just make a living. They are not supporting those people. And that doesn't make any sense. So my big take is if we want to fix anything with labor, we got to figure out what the heck is going on with union le- uh, leadership right now. Agreed. Amen. Cyrus. Yeah. What, what happened to Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders used to talk about this. He used yeah. to warn how increased immigration would take down wages of common Uh-oh. workers. Uh-oh. I will tell you what actually is the course of my campaign. It was unfortunate that Jen, let's see. I burned. The labor movement <laughs> is strong, but the union bosses, they're not so good. They unfortunately go with corporate special interests and the interests of working people, unfortunately, are being neglected every day. Amani, you did a really wonderful job in your campaign. I just want to let you know. Uh, <laughs> we must continue to stand together as one we are working people as a whole in this country. Union bosses are not the same as union rank and file. The average person needs to understand that. And the sooner that the labor movement works with union rank and file to go against the union bosses who are acting no different than Fortune 500 CEOs that are taking advantage of We love you, Double K. Day, it is really no different than corporate America and labor in America. But Bernie, why used to talk about how immigration suppresses wages? What happened to that? We still need to have a rigorous process of immigration in the United States, but we must be inclusive. We cannot be looking at this as a zero-sum game. Not everyone has to win and not everyone has to lose. We have to be fair about making sure that you have a living wage, that you have universal health care, and that you have a decent job that will st- sustain you and your family for many years to come. If you do and not by the way, that, I, I don't ever remember Bernie saying, like, oh, the immigrants are coming and taking your wages. I think, I don't know. I don't remember when that ever was. Oh, no, he did. Uh, yeah, it was 2016. <laughs> yep. But, that, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's an accurate. Um, but in any case, you know, by the way, this country has had immigrants come literally for generations. Um, and be, I mean, I don't think we should judge it like this because we should just be accepting of all people. But if we're going to actually get into this, immigrants have come all throughout the history of this country from all over the world, have contributed to America, have come, become citizens, have come, worked. And they act, uh, immigrants are actually a group that despite what the right tries to claim that they come and they bring all this crime, they're actually the group, they're less likely to commit crimes absolutely here domestically. So there's, there's, really, there's really no argument other than to do exactly uh, what Peter was saying, which is to pit people against immigrants when they re- the real problem that they have yeah. It are these corporations um, who and these politicians who are not actually serving everyday working people. The thieves yes. are the corporations. And what I did the- say, what I did say back in 2016, okay. is that I do not believe in open borders. That is the only okay. thing that I said. Why, why weren't you? Why, why didn't you believe in open borders? I do not believe in open borders. Why not? Because there is a labor force 
that must be balanced. We cannot exactly. just allow if we would it would eliminate the idea of a nation state. We cannot allow the American worker to be completely undercut by people coming from other parts of the world that are desperate for help. It is not that we do not want to help them, but we must help the American worker. And they will not be helped by just allowing mega corporations to pay slave wages to anyone who wants to come here for a job. That is not the American way. That is the corporate way. No, the American way is to just go ship all the jobs over to other countries and abuse their people. I spread my piece. I hope you all enjoyed it. But my my one take on that though is it to me it's a pretty simple concept. If you have a house, you can't let everybody come through your house and eat your food and use up your resources. You 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 can't print money in your house. That's what's happening here is that we can print money through the Federal Reserve, hand it out to New York, hand it out to Chicago, hand it out to whoever has, um, you know, influx. You you saw Eric Adams begging for money like we've got this immigration issue well it's what about the border he's not even a border city or state um i think we have to look at it from that point um, but, my parents not, are Jamaican. But, but here's but but here's the problem and i know that there's a lot of people particularly in independent right-wing media that will talk about this and left-wing media will not talk about it and the here and the issue here isn't that is the is the border open or closed? Well, obviously, it shouldn't be an open border situation. You know what? Pete, but the opinions of Peter Hager are that of himself, and do not reflect the opinions of oh. Jen Perlman. Okay, Wait, are you open border? Like I was saying, oh. uh, the, I didn't say the, that. The, but my point is, this is not a fight about you know uh, one worker taking bread from another worker. This is coming from the fact that for decades and decades and decades, whether you want to say the touchstone point was. President Reagan firing the air traffic controllers because they were on strike in August of 1981 and no one of union leadership anywhere. We have a good friend down here, Fred Frost, who was part of the CWA for decades. He talks about it all the time. They, the AFL-CIO needed to organize a national strike that day that Reagan did it, but they were afraid. He was an extremely popular, especially in his first term, he was extremely popular and he basically had carte blanche to just do what he wanted and no one wanted to stand up to it, but for decades and decades. And that was only the appetizer. The entree became normal trade relations with China and NAFTA, which I decided to bring to America. And so as a result of that, you're now seeing the effects over a generation later that we have to suffer for. And so it's not the immigrant that is the problem here. The problem is the system that is designed for us to hate immigrants. That's what it is. It, well, it's punching down, but Perhaps. that's that's not my thing. And no, I don't necessarily say that I'm for open borders, but I don't like that the assumption <clears throat> that he said is, well, obviously that's not the answer. I don't agree that that's obviously not the answer. I agree that that's something that I would think about or consider if I saw different things. We just are so trained to say that's not the answer. I didn't say I support it. I didn't say I don't support it. I just don't think anything to me is that obvious. I think obviously we've been doing shit wrong for a long friggin' time. That's what I think. Yeah. And I also I, and just I, don't think it it adds up to history. Like it just does not add up to what actually has happened in this country throughout history when immigrants have come to this country. Like, no. it's like it just doesn't, they did not break the economy. And I also want us to 
you know, really hone in here because the economics for a country are not the same as personal economics. Those are two different things. And we were talking about classes earlier. They're actually two different classes too. It's microeconomics and macroeconomics. Right, They're right, like right. completely different things. The way you run your household is going to be completely different from the way you run your country for a multitude of reasons. Um, one of them, which is, is what you mentioned, which is printing money, um, but also a bunch of other reasons. So, you know, to say like, would you let somebody come to your house and eat all your food? Well, like I'm not the U.S. government. <laughs> so like, no, I'm a working class American. The, America is not the working class of the world. OK, so it's like that's not even that, even that comparison. If we were to say that our household, uh, you know, finances and economics are the same as the economics of a nation, even that comparison wouldn't be correct because people here are living paycheck to paycheck. The United States government, I assure you, is not living paycheck to paycheck. I assure you of that. So it, it's not a it's not a right comparison. It's a it's a false equivalency. It's something that we just have to do away with when we have discussions of this um, of this matter. My issue, really, with this is this idea of well, what's an American? What is that? What does that look like? To, like, I, I you know, it doesn't make any sense to me for people that to somehow qualify that as if it's some sort of hegemony. Like, it's just that's not that that that's not. Hegemony. That's not how it is. Like we're not. What is American? What does that mean? Well, I, I do believe. Yeah, I do believe in the founding of Western culture and American um, values, like individualism, and the Constitution. And that is threatened if you have open borders and you don't really kind of have a legal process. I mean, we have a legal process, but it seems like people can just claim asylum and come on over and. It, it does threaten the the kind of the founding of the country that I, I support. I think that's why you're seeing people go after the Supreme Court when they're actually, in my opinion, being more constitu constitutional originalist and people want a living document. So you bring people here who don't understand the Constitution. And I'm not anti-immigrants. My parents are Jamaican immigrants. So, um, but it's, you bring people here who don't understand the culture, the the Constitution, they don't do that in, in every country across the world. And they, there's a reason why it's not. Our country is different, but we, we have to get a hold of it. Right now, it's out of control. The majority yeah. of people born in the United States yeah. don't understand the Constitution. Correct. So, that's, that's Correct. Yeah, but making that as a marker is just, just. I mean, you know how there'd be like five people left in this yeah. country, brother. I like, know, but that, that's, that's a why, problem. That's why there are entire lawyers <laughs> who aren't even set on what the Constitution, and they they handle the Constitution and readings and writings around the Constitution every single day. So yeah. I, if we well, were to, the, if but, that was to be our barometer, yeah, nobody knows that. Stay here. There'd be like five people here. So then, then maybe we shouldn't do African-American history. We should do more constitution because the Bill of Rights is written for the common person to understand. Very clear and simple. That's a problem. The constitution well, we is the most- we don't teach civics properly, but yeah. like now you're conflating apples and oranges. Like you teach civics, but you still teach African-American history. The whole dilution of the entire education system, for example. We like are, our people stupid here. Yeah, well, yeah. that's so <laughs> part and parcel when you go to certain types of schools. You know, where we come from in New Jersey, you have schools like Christian Brothers Academy, you have Rani, you have these places that are extremely affluent, but they're very expensive. Public school, depending on where you live, is decent, certainly much more so than most places. But think about what it's like for people that go to public school, just, you know, southwest of us in places like West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky. You know, the public education systems are extremely underfunded. And they are not learning these types of things. And even if you wanted to just take, 
you know, to teach the things that really matter. I'm not saying that there isn't an abundance of value in a regular standardized curriculum that is being taught in the public school system, whether it is in Florida, New Jersey, Colorado, or wherever in the United States, regardless of where we are. You know, you have to remember mm. that arithmetic isn't taught anymore. Basic economics isn't taught anymore. Um, what, what's the b- b- balancing the budget? Um, well, the, that's home economics. Home, I mean, it's, it's it's that, but, no, but they, they I mean, some places do teach that, but just in general. But it's, not, prim- a, but it's, not, but it's not the norm. And, and so as a result of that, being able to, like you were saying, Imani, uh, if, if we're talking local and state economics, macro, microeconomics, most people don't understand that type of stuff, just as most people do not understand the Constitution. I'm willing to bet that a significant portion of people that are actually in the U.S. Congress do not understand the Constitution. Um, excuse me. Amy Coney Island couldn't name the five freedoms granted by the First Amendment. Oh, I course. took issue with that. OK, that's why I call her. And Amy Osiris, Coney that's Island. where you have to be. That's where you have to be objective regarding the people who sit on the Supreme Court today. Now, I actually do believe that Neil Gorsuch is an originalist. He's a conservative religious religion originalist, but he's a smart guy and he knows what he's doing. When it comes to somebody like Amy Coney, whatever the hell you want to call Amy her, Coney Island. and uh, and Brett Kavanaugh. Those are two people that have no business on the Supreme Court. No. None whatsoever. No. They never tried a case in their life before they got there. If that ain't the Heritage Foundation and the Cato Institute dictating how those guys get there, this is the objectivity that the the, the populist right must have if they want to build bridges with the populist left. Because if you can't see that, then I don't know what you're looking at. Osiris. That's as bad as it gets. Osiris Thurgood Marshall tried 32 cases before the Supreme Court, before he was appointed to the Supreme Court. Just in front of the Supreme Court, 32 cases in front of the Supreme Court. You have people on there that have never tried a case anywhere. Antonin Scalia. That's not good. Antonin Scalia, who's as conservative as anybody who's ever sat on that court, but he is a constitutional originalist. He is an extremely, was an extremely smart individual. And he, the way he would write, as you would talk about, the way yeah. he wrote. Well, he was bright. I just disagreed with him on everything. Yeah. But I mean, he wasn't He wasn't somebody that I would say shouldn't have been there uh, in terms of qual- our qualifications for the highest judicial position in, in the country has substantially been lowered. And when that It's happens, embarrassingly low. Yeah, when that happens, you lose faith in the court. Yes. And I would even say right now, I'm telling you guys both, what's going to happen in 24, it's clear as day that what the Democrats are going to do is they've always done, whether it is Joe Biden, likely, potentially, if uh, depending on what happens, if he gets pushed out or if there is a primary, who the hell knows? I still think it's Trump or DeSantis in 24. It's definitely. uh, Yeah. But let's just say for the sake of argument that we're looking at the general election and the Democrats are trying to convince, scare people into voting for the corporate Democrat again. Yeah. The argument's going to be, well, if we don't vote for the corporate Democrat, then uh, you know, DeSantis or Trump is going to replace Thomas and Alito, and they're going to put two more conservatives on the court that are going to be 30 years younger than they are, and they're going to be there. And my attitude is, yeah, but Alito and Thomas are only leaving in a box unless a conservative <laughs> president is there and is going to appoint somebody else. I would argue Democrat. it doesn't matter anyway. No, I'm, that's what I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying they're trying to they're trying to convince you that. Oh, if only we, you know, if only Hillary Clinton had been elected, we wouldn't be in this predicament. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. The goal here is to never elect anybody who's going to represent working people instead of shareholders in this country. That is the goal. That is why they went, they moved heaven and earth to stop Bernie in 20, in 2020. Yeah. And Joe Biden, 
I mean, my God, talk about the worst possible president at a time when the country is trying They're going to roll change. him out again. That's, yeah. a, that's all they have. They're rolling him out again. Do you guys agree that the, the, the whole farce of the- It's like well, weekend at Bernie's to, yeah, with you, Joe. Well, you have to vote this way because if you don't, this is what's coming. And I'm thinking- It already happened. No, mm. it actually doesn't make any sense. You're just trying to do that. And the inevitability of the further con- conservative, conservative court growing or staying st- standing where it's at- is going to continue because that is the intention of the corporate infrastructure. I already lost my bodily autonomy. So, you know, you can't threaten me with that anymore. Huh? Mm -hmm. I completely agree. I, that's going to be their entire playbook um, is going to be, Hey, you got to vote for Joe. So you don't die, which is like, that's not inspiring. That is not inspiring. Uh, And we want somebody who is going to on, deliver for us. We want someone who's going to deliver. Like that's like, it, it's very bone cut and dry. And the thing that's also, I think, bothersome, at least it's bothersome to me, I won't speak for everybody in the world, but what's bothersome to me is that it's kind of like, they know, they like the Democratic establishment knows that Joe Biden is not a good candidate. They know that. They're like, they, they know for a fact, but the Democratic Party has this very weird thing about like, oh, you wait your turn and right now is Joe Biden's turn. So if he wants to run, we got to give him that space. Like, it's not like you're not going on the merry-go-round here. Like just talking about like being president of the United States is not taking turns to go on a swing or something. You're talking about somebody that has to actually do real things so real people can survive. So for me, what's super annoying is they know it they know he's not good and nobody is saying i don't care what you personally want for your career joe we are moving on otherwise really really bad things are going to happen we need someone to deliver for the base that's not happening so i mean i already know that's it's going to be you got to vote for joe or you'll probably die and that's just not inspiring to anybody no they're They're not gonna win they can't win with that no you can't yeah I think they're trying to push Joe out. I think that's what these the document scandal is all about. It's the administrative state letting Joe know your time is done. Your time is done here. I, do, I don't think he's going to make it to run again. But I, I want to give a shout out to the, to the Libertarian Party. If you feel like neither one of these sides is giving you what you need, Libertarian, all it is is peace. So non-aggression. If aggression is not... Um, bestowed upon you, you don't be the first one to aggress upon anybody else. Property rights, private property rights, which is prosperity and decentralization. And that party right now under the Mises Caucus has done a lot of good things. And I would look at the Libertarian Party if if you feel like you have no options. It's our door. Well, the only the real issue for me with the Libertarian Party is the economic austerity issue, because, Uh see, I agree with it when it comes to civil liberties, man. I agree with you when it comes to civil liberties. I am a live and let live. But I believe in a social safety net. And I believe that everybody here is entitled Mm -hmm. to a certain standard of existence based on our resources as a rich nation. And also based on our history. I mean, the the we kind of assume that just bad things were done in history and then just poof one day after the, some sometime in the 1960s, that just all went away and everything was just like completely equal when that there's a lot of things that were never actually equaled out. There were a lot of bad things that were never actually remedied. Um, so to kind of say, yeah, everyone gets the same playing field. Well, that 
completely disregards things that happened throughout history that were never actually remedied, even though people like to pretend that, I guess, I guess come, come 1970, all of those things were just fixed by the civil rights movement of the 1960s. And 1970, everything was just completely equal. Everybody got everything that they wanted. And we tried to run off into the sunset, but there were just some whiners who wanted more. And that's no, no, just no, not it history. was proven. And mommy, it was proven that everything is fine. We had a black president. Yeah, everything <laughs> is I forgot. I forgot about now. that. So, so we can all move beyond that. Right, right. So, I mean, yeah, like I, I'm completely on the same page as you, Jen. Like the, there needs to be social safety nets. There need to be things like reparations. There need to be, you know, things that remedy past ills. Um, you know, there were black folks, black men who fought in the world wars who should have, um, you know, reap the benefits of being somebody who fought in those wars, such as things like the GI Bill. GI Bill. And they were excluded, right? And that was never remedied. That was never remedied seriously. Um, And that right there allowed some folks in this country, white folks in particular, to have wealth that started with having the wealth in the home and it just compounded over generations. And that was never fixed. And then then we're not even getting into the fact that, um, you know, during Reconstruction, the ills of slavery were also not remedied properly. Like they started to do it. And then things like the KKK came in and, you know, more racist politicians decided to like cut more and more wherever they could. Right. Until essentially you had a whole backlash against it. There are ills that simply have not been fixed in this country and we can't move on until we actually do something significant to fix them. I agree. To me, that's this karmic thing for me. It really is. It's like if you take politics out of it and just look at it from a humanist perspective, when you wrong somebody or you owe somebody, it's not for you to decide what you owe them. Right. Like that's this this idea that if you would file like if I were to file for a lawsuit for filing a grievance, the person who wronged me doesn't get to say, yeah, no, you're not entitled to that. That's not how this works. You know, so it's really, to me, just a very common sense thing that if you don't repair what you did in the past, not only are you going to keep repeating it, but you're not coming at it from an even playing field. There's it it just can't work. It's built on a house of cards. Yeah, I think the ultimate way to remedy slavery from the past is to fight for liberty in the present, not reparations, not money, not social programs. It's to fight for liberty for everyone. That is the only true um, way to kind of address slavery in the past. But if in a libertarian utopia, you could still do, you would need enough people to make the numbers work, but you could still do universal health care. You just would have to do it in your own territories. It wouldn't be the whole country. It would be up to where you lived. And that's where the balance has to be. It's, it's like the most successful systems in the world are a combination of capitalism and socialism. You can't have one without the other. There are many things that should not exist, but there are many things that should exist. And figuring out those intricate details within the the, the guidelines of, let's say, the Constitution, which I believe in as well. But I also think this whole idea of a libertarian utopia is not possible. This all gets back to the founding of our country and the argument about what is the direction to go? Is it the direction of what Alexander Hamilton was preaching or the direction that Thomas Jefferson was preaching? There is merit to both er- to b- both arguments. I do believe there is a problem with the centralization of power. The government is too powerful. I also believe there is a problem with decentralization because individual liberty will also yield monopolies. And that is what we have. So being able to find that common ground where we don't have to deal with that, you know, it's like 
anyone with common sense would say we should be supporting small businesses. We should be encouraging entrepreneurship, creativity, things like that. But today we don't have those things because we allow for the monopolization that tra that transpires, whether it is within our healthcare system. You know, there's a reason why we don't have universal health care, because mega corporations like in Amani's backyard, like Johnson and Johnson, spend infinite amounts of money every year, hundreds of millions of dollars just on corporate lobbying. Why? Because they get billions in subsidies. It's a good investment. It definitely works. They wouldn't be. It's like. Would I spend a million dollars on lobbying if, it, if I knew it was going to net me two million in profit? Well, of course I would, because anybody would. The system is completely broken. And while I do believe that there are aspects of libertarianism that is correct at the micro level, macro, they are absolutely incorrect because we are a currency issuer. So when somebody says, like, like St. Reagan once said many years ago, that we are simply not capable of printing more money and giving, we cannot spend more than we take in. That's not true. This is not a one or the other. At the state and the local level, yes, you have to balance a budget. As Imani said earlier, totally different between your household and the federal government. The job of the federal government is to serve the people. Today, the federal government serves corporate special interests. Point blank, end of discussion. And until we have the understanding that until we deal directly with that major issue of our, that is the issue of our time. That is why the environment is where it's at. That is why healthcare is where it's at. That's why education, criminal justice, and endless war is where it's at. Corporate special interests run our government. And until that changes, all of these conversations about, well, I don't want to pay tax on that. I don't want to pay, it doesn't mean anything. So we have to come to that consensus sooner rather than later. And as long as we have conversations like this, I think we'll get closer to that reality. That is our job in independent media, is to figure out how to cross-pollinate these networks together as often as possible. Joining forces against the plutocrats. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what this is, is a class war. And, this is oh, a class yeah. war, and everybody needs to really understand that. The fastest way, Osiris, if you're going to talk to people that are, you know, part of the Tim Cook, Tim Cool. I actually said Tim Cool. Tim that was cool. Such, you know, he would probably appreciate that. He, not knowing what he's been through for the past week, yeah, he probably would appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> Tim Pool, Michael Knowles, mm -hmm. Stephen Crowder, those particular crowds. Mm -hmm. What they, if if the message was ever incorporated that the, you want to know the fastest way to individual liberty, universal health care and a living wage, and the sooner they recognize that that is where it's at. The sooner you are not tied to your job for your health care, the sooner you realize that it pays to pay a worker enough to live rather than to have them dependent on the government to live that's like Walmart and Amazon does. That is the faster we're going to. That's where when we will get to that consensus. That's it. It's real. Yeah. Honest to God, it's not that complicated. This stuff is really not that complicated. People double are, case, happy for you now. Thank you, thank you, double case. But uh, people are complicated, but politics is not. It's designed to screw with our heads. As as soon as we see through the bullshit, it's so much easier to form these coalitions. The duopoly is evil. Amani, that was an epic rant. I love that rant. <laughs> thank you. And it wasn't even intended to be. Yeah, no, that's the best one. That's the yeah. best type of rant. He's like, <laughs> Amani. 
the floor is yours. Please let everybody know yeah, what, what you're are you working doing? on, how people can find you and your work. And then Osiris, the floor is yours as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on all social media at Imani Oakley NJ10. So my first name, my last name, NJ like New Jersey, the corrupt state we've been talking about this entire time, and the number 1010. Uh, and currently, I'm actually working for TYT. I'm their new campaign organizer. So you can also check me out over there as well at TYT Nation. Again, that's at TYT Nation, all social media. Uh, and thank you all so much for having this. This is a great conversation. Um, happy to see it's been a while since actually I've talked to y'all in this format. So thank you yeah. for having me on. Absolutely. No, I love talking to you. You've, you're firecracker. All right, <laughs> Osiris, what's up? That's good. I just followed you on Twitter, Imani, and I sent you a DM. Nice meeting you. I know you guys probably hate when I say this, but this show right here is the War Room Steve Bannon version of the Populist Left show. It's that good. You guys do the exact same thing he does, but from the different angle. You can follow me on middlemaga.com. You can search middlemaga.com on YouTube and uh, subscribe. Hit me up. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I always appreciate your perspective. I always appreciate talking reasonably with you. And I am totally comfortable not agreeing with everybody on everything. It's amazing how that can happen. And yet we can still be working towards the ultimate same goals. Oh, go to, your, fascinating. go to your safe space. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. You, let me tell you, Amani especially, it's like <laughs> when, when somebody says their safe space, I'm like, let's just... Um, Good. Let's bring you. Let's bring you to the streets of Irvington for one day, and then just shut the hell up, please. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I think there are some places in the Pine Barrens that are probably much more dangerous than Irvington. No, um, but about, you know, talk about the neither pine here barrens. nor there. We don't talk about the. Pine. I want it. I so want to get Gandolfini down. I haven't practiced him. I really would like. Just to. Just don't. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Don't, don't don't be like to see you dipped into the New York Times sphere of saying, look at all this crime in the urban area. See, uh, uh, Peter, you haven't come on. Haven't you learned from the New York Times? No, the Pine Barrens. That's where that's where the danger is. That's the place where you, where you don't want to go. That's where we that's where we take. Well, OK, you people want to know what danger is. Try stealing a parking space from somebody at the Sawgrass Mills parking lot when you're like really going for like Christmas. The one thing shopping. I can tell you, the one thing I could excuse me, I'm talking. The one thing I could tell you about the Pine Barrens is a lot of there's a lot of things buried there. I don't know what's there, but believe me when I tell you, you don't want to end up in the Pine Barrens. It's really terrible. So stay off my golf course in Bedminster. And oh, nothing bad will happen. Sake. Believe me. Good to see you guys. And make America great again. Again. Thank you, Osiris. Amani, <laughs> you'll come around eventually. Believe me, you will. Bye, guys. Bye. Peace. See you guys. So a great, a great crowd as they always say. You know what? It just really goes to show you, like people can have discussions and not agree. There's a lot of things I don't agree and on, but Wardo, that doesn't mean we can't you, be nice. What would you like us to talk about regarding the anti-war? We mentioned it. Here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I do tend to agree with Imani on, on that to some regard. The, the rally thing has become something that people do so that they feel like they're doing something. And especially people that when you put your name behind something, and I, it, it even is very well intended, but I think it just sort of makes people feel like that they're doing something. However, I also believe that rallies do what Osiris said, and it does motivate people and inspire people and bring people together and get people connected well, and talking. I always, so I agree with that too. Well, I always thought that Bernie's uh, juice was at its strongest when he was doing his political rallies. Same with Trump. I mean, you can't deny that it's like it's like a drug for both of them, more so for Trump than for Bernie. Well, but yeah. it definitely 
Well, Trump's a narcissist. But it inspired a lot of people. I mean, getting together in that communal environment, like-minded individuals and talking about issues that are really important to them, kind of like on our channel. Because if you like our content, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month, rather than going to Subway and getting a foot long or going over to Chipotle. By the way, that's not real food. Yeah, it's not. It's it's Franken food. It's of the worst kind. It's Franken food. You can invest in our channel because we are transforming politics into service. But if you are feeling a little bit more generous, $10 a month is going to get you the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker and the Lulu sticker. And Danny and Nevin, yours will be on the way. I had to reorder a new batch of stickers. Mm. So um, I was at Canadelic this weekend and I gave away, basically, I got rid of so many Lulu stickers. We look like we got quite a few subscribers, though, which was great. Maybe we'll get a couple of patrons. You never know. You never know. But if you're feeling a little extra generous, really generous, totally generous, for $25 a month, the top patrons get the jersey. Well, you get everything. You get the Lulu sticker, you get the bumper sticker, but you also get this wonderful tri-blend softest silk think generational you do it just change to annoy me at this point jersey like it's almost passive aggressive you know you want one so think about it and maybe you might actually subscribe what do we have coming up so on wednesday tentatively speaking tentatively speaking i don't like tentatively speaking we'll see what happens we are supposed to have state senator chevron jones will actually be coming on okay. we're hopeful we're hopeful we may have session may not don't know we'll find out uh but that is the plan uh, is to have the senator come on, talk about what's going on up in Tally Wally, and we will see. And then what else do we have coming up? Well, the week of, uh, well, we have our Valentine's. Yeah, uh, so guys, on Saturday um, is the Progressive Caucus Valentine's Day bash. Um, I know Nina's making a, a video up here, a live yes. via via stream appearance. I think Maxwell Frost is going to be there. I don't know if Anna Escamani is going to be there. Oh, well, they're know. both supposed to come. Yeah, see. guys. So this is, it's a big fundraiser for the. My guess is that one of them will show up. So it'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, you know, the goal is to try to start formulating some type of a growth in the state regarding the, you know, populist left movement. And it's, it's and it's hard. It's hard it when is. you still have people like our Congresswoman coming out and still getting involved in our state chair race as if her involvement has served us well in the past. Well, I think that, but, but what I also think it tells you is that it's, it's actually in ways a desperate move because she really feels like her political position is somewhat threatened, even though there isn't anybody challenging her at this point. I mean, it's kind of amazing when you can kind of tell that the, the you know, the waves are changing, that there's something in the air, something's going to happen, and you don't really know what it is. And that's the best part about an, a populist uprising movement is that very often these things just start with one person. But as Bernie has said time and time again, it is not me. It's us. I just I find that, you, you know, when you look at things like what's going on with our state party and it's just really like it's in its death throes. And it's nothing neither here nor there about Annette for me. I mean, like I've said many times, I have no problem. Like, she's nice enough. I have no problem with her. No, I have no problem with her. But it isn't any sort of change that that would radiate and create any sort of actual real resistance in the state. It won't change anything. But I think it also says a lot about the fact that no one is stepping up. And the only people who have stepped up to be the new state party chair in Florida are all from southeast Florida. It's not fair to say that nobody has stepped up. Okay. Well, those are the only people running. Well, from South Florida, yes, but there have been people from South Florida that have stepped up. What I'm, I'm what I'm saying is nowhere else throughout the state. Nobody else is running for state chair. And that's kind of 
Well, it's a pretty feckless little organization. Part of the problem is it only really exists in like what, six counties. I don't even know how many, like it really doesn't exist in very many parts of the state. The infrastructure is really pathetic and they don't really want to seem to do anything. And their biggest gripe is that they can't raise money yet. They can't raise money because they don't stand for anything. I'm telling you people, I want to have a throwdown with the DEC. I want to have a throwdown with the Broward DEC. I want to, I want to see which one of us can raise more money in a month. (laughs) <laughs> I want to, I seriously, I, I, I will put this challenge out to the Broward DEC and well, let you, you know, know that they might actually be able to just like call in like a big favor or something like that and say, Hey, I need you to, I don't even think they can. I think they've worn out all their favors. Well, I think what state. you would definitely beat them at is, um, how many donations you can see. Oh, well, that's easy. That's... I think I could, I think I'd beat them anyway. I think that people with money have tossed Florida to the wayside. I don't think they care. And about they never should. Well, again, but that's the danger. You see, this is one thing. If this was a state, you know, like, I don't know. Let's just say Kentucky was a competitive state and the Democrats just decided to toss it aside and you're giving up eight electoral votes. Well, yeah, I mean, you're ceding territory and that counts. But Florida is 30 electoral votes. It's the third highest electoral vote total in the country. And they are and the GOP literally has it on lock now, along with Texas. And that uh, is that's a big deal. Like you can't underestimate what value that creates for the GOP by the Democrats becoming irrelevant. Well, they are irrelevant. And that's my that's my point. When you have a party that really doesn't exist in the majority of the state, it doesn't exist. It's not like there's the Democrats throughout the state. They literally do not. Ex- I don't mean the people there. I mean, the party infrastructure or not that there aren't Democrats. In no, the but the it, but again, if you're talking, let's just say for the sake of argument that we were dealing with a competitive circumstance. I mean, DeSantis just had, you know, when everyone's like, oh, well, DeSantis had all this money compared to Charlie Crist. DeSantis is a fundraising machine. He is the closest thing fundraising wise that the that the Republicans have had since George W. Bush, but more so since Reagan. But why don't the Democrats and, address why? Why is it that Charlie Crist can't raise money? Why is it that our why state is it party that, Why can't is it that money? Ron DeSantis is so popular? They don't see it. The reason that Democrats can't raise money is they stand for nothing. You're offering people nothing. When everybody who is trying to infiltrate, if you will, the party wants an economic populist uprising, but because the party is wholly funded by Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and the military industrial complex, that goes completely against their interests. Corporate special interest, which is what that is, is what runs the Democratic Party and the democratically elected government, if you even want to call it democratically elected. I would, I would debate that. So the point being... They are not going to change. They're literally going to fall on the sword. And if that means that now, as a result, with the millions upon tens of millions of dollars in donations that the GOP can now reallocate to states like Georgia, Arizona and Pennsylvania. Florida is now a gimme to them. They don't they don't have to even fight for it. Imagine having that type of a problem where you are now ceding electoral territory back to the GOP. It only takes two of those states to flip in the other direction and they win. And here's the thing, Annette Tadeo is not gonna solve that problem for the Florida Democrats. No, it's, and again, not that's, not to say, that's not to say that she won't move the needle in a positive direction no. compared to Manny yeah. Diaz. I have no doubt that she will. But if the needle is basically over here and you need to bring it back over here, she's gonna move it maybe there. It's not, that, it's That not, doesn't work. No. Like no. you've got to, recognize how serious the situation is right now. And I think people, you know, it's everybody wants, all they want to do is bitch about DeSantis, 
but yet they don't do anything to create a bench for a real resistance to him. Imagine if there was a real resistance to him. They passed up about 20 seats that were viable in Florida for the state house that they didn't even Democrats didn't even look at. They didn't have anybody in those races. They didn't even put people in. And that's the and then we could talk about this when Senator Jones comes on the show. But one of the biggest problems within the Democratic Party, which I am sure he would have, I'm confident would not have a problem talking about is the fact that we have a consultant industrial complex in politics, but especially in the Democratic Party. It is a huge problem. And a lot of that money gets sucked up by the huge campaigns of Charlie Crist and Val Demings, whereas that money, which is going to the Lincoln Project, should be going to these non-corporate candidates. That's yes, what should be Paul, happening. Paul, yes, Annette Tadeo. Yes, that's who we're talking about. That's not about. how you spell her name. No, but that it's T-A-D-D-E-O. That's correct. Yeah. Um, but so. yeah, it's her. And again, I, I like her. I've met her. She's nice. I don't have any real problem with her. I just, th th there's nothing revolutionary that's going to happen. And quite honestly, anything short of that won't help the state of Florida at this point. It just won't. No, it won't. But that's why we'll keep fighting. And we're going to, and, and, and in however many years, when we look back, it'll be, oh yeah, state of Florida, the state that brought us president DeSantis. And I'm going to look back and be like, yep, yeah, told you so. Told you that was happening. Happen. And we let it happen. They let it happen. You know? Well, I mean, it's technically, business. it's good for business. Well, and yet again, still better than Rick Scott. Mm, yeah, that shows you how low the bar is. Well, Smash yeah. the like button, subscribe, click, share, do all those wonderful things. Uh, big shout out to obviously our good friend Double, Double K, K. Uh, Ray. Great to see you. Thank you for your support. Uh, you've been fantastic, and uh, I know that there was a gentleman a little bit earlier. Um, I don't see Wait, there. Uh, no, that's broken right. traditions. Uh, thank you very much uh, for subbing to our channel. That means a lot. So Yes, it does. So make sure, as we said, click the like. Make sure the bell is on. It's very important. Do all the wonderful things we ask. Perhaps become a patron. Maybe we'll figure that out by Wednesday. But by then, hopefully, we will have an even bigger channel, however small it might be. I don't but know what you're anticipating happening. I don't know. Just hoping. We're hoping. We're small but mighty, but we're hopeful. See you Wednesday. Bye, all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.